series called Church on the Move, and today we're in Acts chapter 2, actually continuing a sermon that we started last Sunday. We started talking last Sunday about what is the kind of church that God would go to. Remember that? We had the family feud. What are people looking for in the church they go to? What, the question, though, that's more important is what is it that God's looking for in a church? What kind of church would God attend? And if you weren't here last week, I'll call these out really quick. You won't get to write them down, but just by way of review, it's got to be a church that, that preaches the gospel, a church that teaches the word of God, that people participate and they don't just spectate. That meals are shared often together. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are practiced regularly. There's a strong devotion to prayer. Resources are shared freely. And praise and worship of God is constant. Now let me say about that list from last week. Those are things that are observable. Those are things that are tangible. Those are things that are concrete. Those are things that are real. But there's other things that are just as important, that are intangible. You might say the things that are more like kind of the, the feel of a place, right? The ambiance of a place. You might say the atmosphere. And that's what we want to talk about today. Is the church that God would go to not only has to have the right activities, but it's got to have the right atmosphere. I want to show you three things today that we see in Acts chapter 2 that just sort of hung in the atmosphere of the church in Jerusalem in its early days. And these things just sort of hung in the atmosphere real thick. You could almost see it, but you couldn't, right? Sort of like Alabama humidity <laughs> in the summertime. It's thick. It just hangs in the air. You can look out the window to the door and you don't really see it, but you open up the door and it's almost like you can almost see it because it becomes so real. Well, there were some things that were really, really real that were just hanging in the atmosphere of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And I want us to see that today. The first thing that was just hanging thick there in the atmosphere is unity. Unity. There's a word like all as it refers to the people, how they were all there, all together. Verse 42, 43, 44, 47, 46. And even that word together pops up a lot in those verses as well. There was a unity that was thick in the atmosphere in that church. When that church started, by the way, there were just 120 people that were in that room. And they were all different kind of people. There were men there and there were women there. And you would think, well, that's not a big deal, but it, it was for them. You know, in our Gentile 2021 world, it's no big deal for men and women to be hanging out together in the same place. But in the Jewish world around 33 AD, that was a big deal. Men and women typically did a lot of things separately apart from each other. Women weren't even really looked at as fully human beings. They were kind of thought of more as property than of a person. But these people are all hanging out together because the cross of Jesus changed everything about that. Jesus proved by what he did on the cross that... Women are people created fully in the image of God. And, you know, we're living in a time today in our culture today that seems to be screaming that one of the things that the world would say is wrong with Christianity is that Christianity creates a toxic patriarchy. And, and listen, I won't deny that there's some people who say they are Christians who certainly subscribe to a toxic kind of masculinity or a toxic kind of patriarchy but let me be clear about this it is absolutely impossible 
for a man to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and not think of a woman as equally valuable and equally worthy of dignity and respect, equally created in the image of God. God has given both men and women equal worth and equal value. And at the same time, he has given us different roles and different responsibilities. Listen, God created male and female, period. And God created male and female equally, period. And God created male and female to complement each other, not compete against each other, period. And that is the truth of God's word. And we see this beautiful unity in the book of Acts here in chapter 2 between men and women who are both following Jesus. But they're not just the only highlight about what's going on in that room. We've also got some apostles in that room that are pretty famous. We know their names really well today. But there are also other followers of Jesus in that room that we don't know their names. They're, they're unnamed and, and really unknown to us. But also in that room, you had Jesus' own family members. His mama was there and his brothers and some sisters. And all of these people were united together. This unity among them all just hung there thick in the air. And it seems to me that this would have been a really good time with this group of people for Satan to come in and sow all kinds of discord, create all kinds of disunity among these people. Jesus' mothers, Jesus's mother and his brothers and sisters, they could have easily said, well, look, we got a special relationship, right? We should be treated differently. Uh, you, you guys should, should look at us differently and think about us differently and treat us differently because our relationship with Jesus was really special. You know, and then there's Peter. He had denied Jesus three times, right? And, and yet Jesus is positioning Peter to be one of the prominent leaders of this church. And the rest of them could have spoken up and said, well, Peter's, Peter's a failure. I mean, it's just a few weeks ago. He's cursing and denying Jesus. How come he gets to be one of the prominent leaders in the church. John could have spoken up and said, hey, I was the one that stayed there near the cross as Jesus was dying. John could have raised his hand and said, I was the one that Jesus said, take care of my mom, all right? She's going to be your mom from now. He could have done that. But, but praise God, such things did not happen. Now, before the cross, they did happen. On multiple occasions, we find the disciples before Jesus' death on the cross, they are arguing back and forth with each other about who's more important and who's the greatest and who's going to have the best seat in the house in the kingdom of heaven. But after Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension, they no longer argued over things like that. They became truly united. They're no longer asking themselves, well, who's the greatest? They're no longer talking about whose sin is the worst. All that has now grown strangely dim. And all that they're about now is how they can do exactly what Jesus has told them to do. To walk together to take the name of Jesus to every corner of the planet. To make disciples of all nations. They were united together with all this diversity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the purpose of the same goal of making Jesus known throughout the earth. And then on the day of Pentecost, that diversity just grew, right? Because it went from 120 people to 3,000 people. And yet, no matter who they were, 
no matter where they were from, and they were from a lot of different places, as you may remember from last week, no matter what their status was as a person, they all came together and united themselves together in the name of Jesus. We live in a world today, 2,000 years later, that is intent, it seems, on dividing people up, right? We see it so much today. An effort to divide people racially or linguistically or ethnically or tribally or along class or religious or political lines. Let me just be as clear as I can be. For the people of God, there can be no division. He has made us one together with him in Christ. When you came to know Christ, old things were passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, if a church can't unite together in the power of the Holy Spirit around the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ, if the amount of melanin in our skin is a barrier to that or where we come from or our culture or our background or our bank account, if any of that is a barrier to the people of God being united in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I would have to question, are those people really Christians? God's not going to attend a church where there's not unity around the person of Jesus and his purposes for us, his people. That's one of the first promise we make on our church covenant is we will work and pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Because if we don't have that, it all begins to fall apart. If you walked into the church in Jerusalem in 33 AD, that sense of unity was as thick as that Alabama humidity. You could feel it. They were together. They were united in person and in purpose for Jesus. The church that God would attend would not only have an atmosphere of unity, but secondly, it would have an atmosphere of awe. A-W-E. Look at the text, Acts 2, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer, a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. If you went to church with them, you opened the door, you felt the unity, and you felt the sense of awe in that place. The reason, one of the reasons I showed kids pictures of mine and Shannon's trip is to say this you know every every mile of that trip was just beautiful around every curve over the top of every mountain it was just an amazing experience another experience mile to mile with this thing called awe A-W-E and at some of those places where we would stop and look around sometimes there would there would be Numbers of people around, like at Old Faithful, you know, people tend to congregate there a lot. If you were hanging out near us, it didn't take you long probably to figure out that we're from the South. <laughs> because when Shannon and I, like probably most of you, when we get awestricken, we say these complicated religious terms like, golly. <laughs> That's Shannon's favorite, by the way. I heard her say that a lot. Uh, one of mine is good, not a living. Right? We were just in awe, and people could hear that in our voices. 
Listen, if you can understand that, then you're going to begin to understand the atmosphere that was present among the people of God in Acts chapter 2. They weren't in awe of God's creation. They were in awe of the creator. They were in awe of God and his power and his mercy and his grace and his love and his salvation. They couldn't get over that. And that sense of awe hung thick in the atmosphere. Can I ask you this morning, are we a people? When we gather in here on Sundays, is that sense of awe, is it real in this room? Is there a real awe in this place? Is there a real awe in your heart today over who God is and what he did for you, a sinner, through his son Jesus at the cross? Is there a great sense of awe in your heart that he's the one that conquered sin and death in the grave? Are we a people of awe today? And by the way, it's nice to have lights and sound and resources. And if you don't know, we're about to upgrade a little bit when it comes to those things. But let me say this. You don't need any of that stuff to stand in awe of God. We don't need any of that stuff. Simply when our mind's attention and our heart's affection is fully on God. The awe happens. We stand in awe. And you might just hear people in this room going, Golly, he is good. Good, not a living. Did you see what God just did? That's the kind of church I think God wants to go to. Where you don't just have the right activities, but the right atmosphere. Where unity's thick. Where awe is thick. In that atmosphere. Another piece of the atmosphere that's got to be there in the church that God's looking to go to. And that's joy. Joy. Look at verse 46. The Bible says they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy. Doesn't that sound good? Everything they did. They were together, worshiping, eating, serving, and great joy was what was hanging in the atmosphere of their lives. Listen, if the world has ever needed to see the joy of the Lord, it is now in the year of 2021. It just seems to me that right now, at least as far as my lifetime goes, the world is more unhappy, more joyless more distracted, more divided, more frightened, more confused, more angry than I've ever seen it before. Is it possible that the joy of the Lord in us may be one of the most compelling arguments for our witness for Jesus? Man, what a contrast the joy of the Lord ought to be in our lives to the world that we're living in today. Yesterday, Shannon was on the phone with uh, Apple support, have a little problem with her Mac, and um, she, somebody got on the phone, was talking to her, Shannon had him on speakerphone, so her hands were free to deal with the Mac, and I'm, I'm in the same room, so I can hear the conversation, and the lady was really helpful, and, and really no time at all, just had the problems ironed out, and she says, is there anything else I can help you with, and Shannon said, I don't think so, hey, I said, ask her. If she loves Jesus, because I think she does. I'd been listening to the whole conversation, 
And I could tell, that's my sister. I don't know who she is. I don't know where she is. I don't know anything about her. I just heard her voice over the phone from the other side of the room. And I just knew that's family. I knew it. I said, ask her if she knows Jesus, because I think she does. And Shannon said, hey, yeah, 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 one more thing. Can I ask you this? Do you love Jesus? And she said, I sure do. He's my favorite person. And she continued to share about how it was encouraging for her. Shannon said, my husband said he, he thought you were a believer. He could hear it. He knew you were. And she said, that means so much to me because every day I want to serve the Lord. I want God to use me. And I'm always kind of frustrated. I don't know how that's happening in the job that I have. And so we just got to have this great moment of fellowship. But I heard joy in her. And I knew it. Right? And that's a big reason why the church in Acts 2 saw so many people come to faith in Jesus. Their unquenchable joy gave living proof to a watching world that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for sinners and was buried and raised again on the third day. It was their unquenchable joy that set the stage for that gospel witness. Now, maybe today your joy's running a little bit low. Mine does sometimes. Anybody today say, yeah, the joy, the joy meter in my life is not quite there. I understand that. In, in fact, I'm going to share real quick just 10 prominent joy killers in our lives. I won't talk about these real long. We don't have a lot of time, but I just share these. So maybe the Holy Spirit quickly help you put your finger on one and say, ah, okay. Got to focus in here. So here's number one. Guilt over sin. You know, you can't walk in sin and walk in joy at the same time. If, if to, 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 to have joy, you've got to forsake sin. To have sin, you've got to forsake joy. And so maybe that's where we are. You can, you can sin and be happy. If you're not happy when you're sinning, you're not, sin, you're not a good sinner... <laughs> Because the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, right? But it also says it's temporary. It only lasts a season. Then you're left with the wreckage in its wake, right? But that's not what joy is. Joy is not circumstantial. It's not external. It's internal. So if guilt over sin is killing your joy today, confess that to the Lord. And repent of it. Turn to him. Second joy killer is fear. Fear. We've all struggled with more fear probably in the last year than we ever had before, right? Just lots of different things that came up in our world and our lives that just kind of made us fearful and fretful. But you know the most repeated commandment of Jesus in the New Testament? Don't be afraid. Fear not. So if fear is killing your joy today, turn from fear and turn to faith. God's not given us a spirit of fear but a power and love and of a sound mind. Third joy killer maybe that you're struggling with today is unforgiveness. If you are refusing to forgive someone for wrongs they have done, then you're going to be a joyless person. We have to forgive. That doesn't mean we have to restore. Restoration in a relationship can't always happen. Sometimes restoration in a relationship just shouldn't happen for a lot of different sort of reasons. 
Restoration is conditional on a lot of things. But hear me. Forgiveness is not conditional on anything. Forgiveness has to happen. It must happen. It's commanded. Fourth joy killer, lack of a devotional life. Lack of a devotional life. Listen, if you're not spending quality time with Jesus, who is our source of joy, no wonder. No wonder your joy is weak. Don't let busyness, don't let anything be an excuse or be the reason that you don't spend quality time with God in His Word and in prayer. Lack of a devotional life is going to show in your life with a lack of joy. Fifth joy killer, ingratitude. Ingratitude. How often do we look past all the things that we ought to be grateful for and thankful for so that we can find something to complain about? So that we can find something to to whine about? Listen, if ingratitude is killing your joy... Grab that old hymn book if you got one somewhere and find that old song, Count Your Blessings. Right? And just start counting. And see if the Lord doesn't return your joy to you. Sixth joy killer, comparing yourself with others. This is nothing more than the sin of coveting. Somebody has something that I don't have, and I want that. Listen, this is a trap of the devil. He loves to draw us into this trap to make us feel that God in some way has robbed us. God in some way has overlooked us. God in some way has shown favoritism to somebody over us. That God can't be trusted. It's the same trap he set in the garden for Adam and Eve. Very same thing. So don't fall for that. Don't step into Satan's trap of comparing yourself with other people. Seventh joy killer. Impure thoughts. Our minds are constantly being bombarded today. I remember one time we were there at Yellowstone. I forget. We were looking at a geyser or something. And um, this stood out to me in this moment. There's this little boy. He's probably 10 years old. And I saw him sitting on a ledge. And he's doing this, looking at the geyser. I mean, motionless, just never budged, never moved. And, And here's what struck me. I remember when I used to see little boys do that a lot. and little girls, and men, and women, actually used to sit in silence and contemplate. But now, normally, 10-year-olds are, or 40-year-olds, you know? And I thought, man, how, because if most, by the way, if no other reason to go to Yellowstone, cell service doesn't exist inside Yellowstone. <laughs> he had nothing to do but sit there with his hand in his, on his chin and contemplate. And think, listen, maybe if we turned off some things in our life, maybe the joy would come back. Eighth joy killer, selfishness. Selfishness will kill your joy in an instant. Listen, if selfishness is what's killing your joy, here's the antidote for that. It's really easy. Serve somebody. Pray for somebody else. Focus on somebody else. Give to help somebody else. If you'll do that, the joy's going to start coming back. It's amazing how that happens. Number nine, difficult circumstances. Difficult circumstances. We all have this sort of ideal standard in our mind about how my life is supposed to be. Right? How my world is supposed to be. And so when reality doesn't meet our expectations, sometimes that can be a joy killer in our lives. Listen, problems happen. 
Trials come. Jesus said, in this world, you are going to have trouble. It's not just you. Everybody does. Listen, everybody else just faking it. If you think nobody's got problems, they're just faking it. They just got you fooled. Everybody's struggling. There's not a person in this room here today that's not struggling. That's not got some kind of problem, some kind of issue, some kind of place in your life where the ideal has not been met in your world. It's not a, it's not a sin to feel sad about that. It's not a sin to have some sorrow or some grief about that. But listen, we got to learn to trust God. Learn to trust His greater plan. Hold on to His word that God works all things together for good. All things that happen aren't good, but here's how good God is. He works all things together for good to those He loves, who love Him, who are called according to His purposes. And the tenth reason maybe today that you're struggling with joy in your life is you're not really a child of God. So you're not going to know the joy of God if you're not a child of God. Maybe one reason there's so many joyless churches is because their people know Christianity, but they don't know Christ. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you sit here week after week. Maybe you have for a long time. And you know better than the average bear Christianity. But you don't know Christ. Sitting here no more makes you a Christian than sitting in your doctor's office makes you a doctor. You need to know Jesus. If you have a question today about whether or not you have ever truly been born again, if there's any question in your heart about that today, I want to help you with that. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So hang on and I'll come back because this may be the biggest day of your life today. But now if we flip those 10 joy killers around, this is what they sound like. This is how a church can be filled with the joy of the Lord. The people are saved. They look past hard circumstances with eyes of faith. They're eager to serve and to give to others. They fight to keep their thoughts pure and biblical. They celebrate what others have and they do not covet. They have a resilient attitude of gratitude. They have a consistent and a vibrant devotional life. They're quick to forgive others. They walk by faith and not by fear. And they routinely confess and repent of their sin. That's the kind of church. That's the kind of church I think God would attend. I think if we get the joy of the Lord back in our minds, the joy of our salvation in our hearts, I think with that will come unity with our brothers and sisters. And with that will come awe of God. I think these three just sort of are all woven together. If we're doing the right activities that we talked about last week and we have the right atmosphere that we're talking about today, then we're going to have the right ambition. God's looking for a church that has the right ambition. 
Look at Acts 2.47. The end of the verse says, And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's how you know you're at a church that God attends. Because the right activities are there, the right atmosphere is there, and the right ambition is there. There is a desire among those people to see God adding to His family, God adding to His kingdom every single day. Not just Sunday. Every single day. That should be what we want to see happen. If we want to see this be a place that God himself is attending week after week, then seeing people saved should be our ambition. That's the kind of church that God wants to attend. And they're being saved daily. In our prayer time with the men this morning, one of the men prayed or made the comment about it's all of our job to be sharing the gospel. All day, every day, all week. It's not just on the preacher to do that. Amen to that. That's what was happening here. God was adding to their number daily. Not just once a week when preacher Peter stood up to preach. But as the people were going throughout their life, they were asking the apple person, do you love Jesus? They were asking the person in the frozen section aisle at the grocery store, whose buggy collided into yours. Oh, that's okay. Can I ask you a question? Everywhere they went, they were bubbling over with good news, the gospel, that God so loved a broken world and broken people that he sent his perfect son who lived a perfect sinless life, died in our place, was buried, and rose again so that we could Come out of brokenness and be restored and have everlasting life. You know, right now, nearly one-third of people who are attending worship on Sunday morning at Grace Life are learning how to share the gospel on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights, this thing called Three Circles. Like Over 200 people have been a part of a class so far. I've never been more proud. I've never been more thankful. I've never been more excited. These are some things I've been talking about for the last several months. That It's not what happens in here that's so important to me. It's what's happening in you, through you, out there. That's really what is more important to me. I, I want to start watching you guys baptize people that you get to share Christ with. I'm good with that. I don't see any biblical reason. A lady wins another lady to Jesus. I don't see any reason. I don't stand there and say, hey... You'd like to baptize her? Do it. Let's go for that. Because now you're going to be her primary discipler. Not me, you. See, this is a team effort, right? And I, I can't wait. I want to see more of that. And I believe I will see more of that. And I want to say, let's go for it this week, church. Best week ever. I still think my best week ever is on the table. I don't think it happened three weeks ago. I don't think it's happened yet. Today's the first day of a new week, and I'm going after this one as the best week ever. I would encourage you to think the same way. And not just a third of us, but all of us. If you haven't been yet on Wednesday night or Sunday night, come on. One time will help you. Just attending one time will help you and encourage you and strengthen you. Come as often as you can. God's up to something. Leading us, teaching us how to have these conversations. The results... Let me say this, listen closely. The results of those conversations we have 
They're not up to us. They're up to God. Whether or not we have those conversations, it's not up to God. It's up to us. It's up to us. Let's pray. God, we want to be a people and a place where the atmosphere is pleasing to you. God, we pray that by your grace, this place would be an atmosphere, that our hearts, our lives would be an atmosphere of unity and of awe and of joy. God, help us to be devoted to only the right activities, the things that are most important to you, to pursue the right atmosphere and to have the right ambition of seeing people come to know Jesus. I do. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to just say, you know, we've talked today about the right atmosphere in a church. But the atmosphere in a church starts with the atmosphere in each heart. starts in your heart and in my heart. Can I ask you today, what, what's the atmosphere of your heart like today? Does unity with the people of God hang thick in your heart? Awe of God? Is that the atmosphere of your heart today? joy that when somebody just hears your voice over the phone they know that person has been touched by heaven is that the atmosphere of your heart today if not would you right now just say Holy Spirit show me show me what you would have me to do I want you to change my heart. God, would you change the atmosphere in me and in my heart? Listen, in the next few moments, as God is speaking to your heart, pointing out to you anything in your life that needs to be taken care of, would you just do it? Just take care of that. Sometimes we just need a change of atmosphere, don't we? If you're here today and you're not absolutely, positively sure that you're saved, there's a question in your mind right now that if your heart stopped right now and you stepped into eternity, you're not certain where you would spend eternity. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, before I walk out these doors today, I need to know that I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. If that's you today, would you just lift your head and put your eyes on me? 
Maybe I can see you. Maybe I can't. I'll try my best. But let's you and I just look at each other for a moment. And I want you to know Jesus before you leave this place today. Thank you. You just look up at me and look right back down. Thanks. I see you. I see you. Right where you sit right now, say, Lord Jesus, save me. Is that, is that what you believe to be true? Then say that. Say that to God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Tell God. I believe that. Do you believe that Jesus died in your place on the cross for your sin? Tell God that is what you believe right now. Do you believe that you're a sinner in need of the blood of Jesus to take your sin away? That's what you believe. Would you just say that to the Lord right now? And if you believe that it is far better to follow Jesus than to keep living your life the way you've been living it, would you say that to him right now? If you gave your life to Christ this morning, here's the next best thing you can do probably don't want me to say it but I'm telling you this because I love you and I want God's best for you you gave your life to Christ today in just a moment I'm going to be standing right up front down here on the floor and I would just ask you to step out from where you are and hey you might shock somebody in a good way that's alright Just step out from where you are and come grab my hand and say today I gave my life to Jesus those of us who gave our life to Jesus sometime before today let's give it to him again not because we need to be saved again but we want to recognize my heart's yours God and the atmosphere of it is yours so make it match the ownership today it hasn't been matching the ownership it's looked like me and it's supposed to look like you. So God, would you fix that in my life? Holy Spirit, grab our hearts. Move us to action. Help us to not be hearers, but doers also of what we've heard. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. And I'm here to greet you if you desire to publicly profess your faith in Jesus today.